Welcome back, everyone. Last week was a blast. Thank you so much for submitting questions. They were great. If your question did not get answered, there will be plenty more of opportunities. In fact, you can submit anytime, any place you want. And I may be able to get to them and put them on the show in any episode, not just an ask anything episode. So if you want a question or a topic on the show, you're always welcome to submit. Alright, let's get started. This week, we're going to be talking about two different things that hopefully 90s Braves fans will love. Or if you are a little younger, hopefully it will help you gain some extra love for those teams. We're going to take a journey through some highlights of the 90s squads, as well as look at Andrew Jones' Hall of Fame case. This was fun to do some research on because although I was alive during the full decade of the 90s, I am just young enough that I can't honestly say that I remember all of it. Plus, memories can be deceiving as time goes by. In fact, there are many stories between my brother and I growing up that when I tell the story, this instance happened to me. But when he tells the story, the same instance would happen to him. For example, when we were both young, we went fishing a lot. One time, I cast the rod and the hook got caught in my brother's cheek. I went years remembering it as thinking I was the one that got the hook stuck in my cheek because I was freaking out when it happened. My brother claims it was him who, in fact, got the hook in his cheek. We talked to my dad about it one day, remembering the story, and let's just say I sucked at fishing then, and I am not much better now. But, back to what you all came for in the first place. Not stories about me, but content about the Braves. Let's look at that awesome time in the 1990s. There are two ways to look at this. You can look at it as 14 straight division titles with only one World Series, or you can look at it like I do. Be happy for the success that they did have. There are many, many teams that do not come anywhere close to the success that the Braves had in the 90s. Sure, more rings would be nice, but man were those some good years. Let's look back at the Braves' records for the 90s. In 1990, they did not do too great. They ended at 65 and 97 at a whopping 26 games behind first place. But that's the last bad season in a very, very long time. They went from worst to first in their division. In 1991, they made a massive turnaround and went 94-68 and 68 to win their division, which they would not fail to do again until 2006. They even made it all the way to the World Series, but lost three games to four against the Twins. In 92, they went 98-64 and 64 and made it all the way to the World Series again, but sadly lost to the Blue Jays two games to four. 1993, 
they went 104 and 58, their second best regular season ever. Unfortunately, their two-year streak of making it to the World Series ended when they lost to the, to the rivals, the Philadelphia Phillies, in the National League Championship Series, two games to four. In 94, well, this is an interesting year to say the least. The year ended early due to the player strike that actually Tom Glavin was a huge voice for. I want to be on the record to say that I support this strike happening. It ultimately was good for the players and the game of baseball. Well, if not the game of baseball, Major League Baseball, okay? You know, where people actually get paid to play. <laughs> It did not seem like it at the time, but it was. I will do an episode in the future on the butterfly effects of this strike, and, but uh, we're not going to get dig too deep into it today, but keep an eye out for that. When the season was canceled, the Braves had a record of 68-48, and 48, 20 games above 500, and somehow they were six games behind first place. Would they have caught up? We will never know. But their streak of winning the division technically did not end because no one technically won it. Next is the great 1995. We all know what happened this year. At least, if you don't, I hope you forever will now. After a regular season record of 90-54, and 54, which, if you look at those numbers, seem kind of weird, but it's due to a shorter season from the strike. This is the year when the Braves finally went all the way and won the World Series. Tom Glavin, who in my opinion was the real hero of the series, pitched eight scoreless innings of one-hit ball in Game 6 of the World Series, and David, David Justice hit what would be the only score of the game with a solo homer. This ended up finishing off an amazing Indian squad. Guys, that lineup Glavin pitched against was absolutely insane. It had Kenny Lofton, Omar Vizquel, Manny Ramirez, Albert Bell, Eddie Murray, Jim Tomey, and Tony Pena all on the same team. That entire lineup was an all-star team in itself. I mean, it rivals some of the best lineups in history, honestly. Of course, you're going to have Yankees fans that will disagree with me, but this is one of the best offensive lineups we have seen in a long time. In 1996, the Braves finished 96-66, and again winning their division and making it back to the World Series, but losing 2-4 to the Yankees. 1997 saw them break the century mark in wins with a 101-61 record, yet again winning the division, but this time they lost in the National League Division Series to the Marlins, who would go on to win the World Series. Even though I'm a Braves fan, I have to say it was pretty cool to see an expansion team win it all. And let's be honest, the Marlins aren't even really a rival to the Braves, even though they are in the same division. In 1998, the Braves went an insane 106-56, and which is the best record they have ever had in a regular season. They won their division easily, yet sadly did not win the World Series. In fact, they did not even make it due to losing to the Padres in the National League Championship Series. It's hard to remember when the Padres were good enough to make it to the World Series, 
although they ended up being swept by the Yankees. The final year of the 90s saw the Braves have their third best regular season ever, going 103-59. They won their division yet again, which would end up being a streak of 14 years in a row when it finally ended. But the Yankees were waiting for them in the World Series yet again. And the Yankees swept the Braves. This is the second straight World Series that the Yankees swept the opposing team. I still have vivid memories of that series. Waking up the next day, seeing the headlines in the papers all over town, such a freaking nightmare. But, this capped off a very dominant decade. The Braves won their division nine straight years, never losing less than 90 games. And that was the year that was slightly shortened by the strike the previous year and was also the year that they won the World Series. Another interesting stat is there was only one year that they didn't make it to at least the championship series. To highlight everything from this run would take way longer than a segment on a podcast, but let's look at some players that these teams had on them. They had four Hall of Famers on them in Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, Greg Maddox, and Chipper Jones. Andrew still has a shot at the Hall, and Fred McGriff has an argument to be there. The Braves had the player that won the Cy Young in the National League Cy Young six out of the ten years that it could have been won. Not to mention that one of those other ten years that the Cy Young was won was won by Greg Maddox when he played for the Cubs. So the Braves ended up having players on their squad that won at some point that won seven of the ten Cy Young Awards of the 90s. The Braves also produced two National League MVPs in in Pendleton in 91 and Chipper in 1999. They also had 37, that's right, you heard it correctly, 37 All-Stars in that time frame. Like I said, I can't cover everything, so definitely let me know your favorite moments of the 90s um, on Twitter or Facebook page or whatever, or if you want to send in a question or topic to the show's email, whatever, if you want to talk about more stuff about the 90s, let me know, and let me know what your favorite moment was. Speaking of the 90s, let's talk about a player that was on some of those 90s teams' case for the Hall of Fame. That's right. You heard me say it earlier, Andrew Jones. But first, let's take a break. Alright, welcome back from the break. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I had to get some coffee. I'm getting a little tired, if you know what I mean. But anyways, welcome back. So, let's get back on the subject of Andrew Jones. First, let me point out that some of the measuring points for Andrew I've covered in more depth in the Freddie Freeman episode a few weeks ago. So if you want more info on things like the Black Ink Test, the Hall of Fame Monitor, and others, I suggest going back to that episode real quick and checking that out because that episode breaks down those measuring sticks at a more deep level. I want to look at some other stuff 
more on Andrew rather than uh, digging into those measuring sticks since I've already talked about them. Uh, I don't want to be redundant. Now that I threw that snazzy disclaimer out there, it's time to get back into doing the People's Pitch segment of the week. This topic may not be too controversial for us Braves fans because, of course, we all love Andrew Jones and most of us probably think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But if we're truly honest with ourselves and take off our Braves goggles, it's not a sure thing. Many non-Braves players probably will make the argument that Andrew does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. But I want to take the time this week and talk about why he should be or you know, at least prove that he definitely should be looked at. And I'm also going to look on not only if he should, or, but more so if he will. So like I'm saying, there are two things to consider when looking at any Hall of, players, Hall of Fame player's case, right? Any player's chance to get to Hall of Fame. Uh, there are two sides of the coin, if you will. We need to look at if... If a player quote-unquote should be in the hall, and the other side of the coin is quote-unquote if the player will. The first is based solely on stats. The second is based on the human factor of a voting process. Most of the time, the human factor skews results. For example, to me, the Hall of Fame is the Baseball Hall of Fame, not the Political Hall of Fame, not the Moral Compass Hall of Fame, or the Nice Guy Hall of Fame. Kurt Schilling has not been voted in, and that is mostly because he has made some arguably regrettable statements on social media. That is a human factor. Based on stats alone, and almost all Hall of Fame tracking metrics, he is in no question. That being said, the human factor may hurt Andrew. The quote-unquote should is weighing much heavier than quote-unquote if. First, I will talk about the tracking numbers of Andrew that voters like to see. The average Hall of Famer has a 27 on the black ink test and a 144 on gray ink. Andrew sits at 10 and 47 respectfully. That is not promising. But let's not forget that those metrics favor older players since there were fewer teams back in the day for older players. On Because of this... Uh, these numbers aren't looked on or looked at quite as heavily as they are for older players. So that is not as bad as it sounds for Andrew. On the Hall of Fame monitor metric, Andrew is at 109 with a score of 100 being considered likely in the Hall of Fame. For reference, Fred McGriff sat at an even 100, but he didn't make it into the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame standards metrics has Andrew at a 34 with the average Hall of Famer sitting at 50. All of those measuring points are subjective of how we think voters will vote. However, they all have one thing in common. They all measure batting. Andrew was slightly above average on offense with an OPS plus of 111 for his career, making him 11% better than the average player. But as we all know, his calling card is his defense. Let's dig into actual numbers now for an argument on if he should be in. If y'all did not know, 
Fangraphs leans, wow, I, it sounded like I said y'all. I said, if you all, really quickly. So I guess that's the southern part of me coming out. I don't know. But anyways, Fangraphs leans heavier on defense than baseball reference, which is a good thing for Andrew, obviously. Fangraphs has Andrew at 67 war, and baseball reference has him at 62.7. The average player at his position had a war of 71.3. Andrew is just short there. His seven-year peak was a 46.4 war, which is only 0.1 less war than Dale Murphy's entire career, by the way. So Andrew did in seven years what Dale Murphy did his entire career, just for what it's worth. Andrew does not have largely pretty batting numbers that voters like other than his 43 homers and 10% walk rate. Like stated earlier, he was above average overall with an OPS plus of 111. Also, I wanted to mention that he had a WRC plus of 111, strangely enough. But man, was his defense absolutely insane. As Braves, we know his defense was good, but I would go ahead and venture to say that you guys probably don't know, if you didn't do research already, how good it really was. I want to spend this time to dig into the defense because anyone can look at offense stat sheet and make an opinion and argue either way. I am sure if you are a Braves fan you knew Andrew was elite, but his stats are on another level. If you look at his numbers, he is the best defensive outfielder of all time. Yes, I'm saying it. If you look at total zone runs, or RTOT, which measures how many runs a player saved and is considered by many the best metrics of defensive value, Andrew is at 253 for his career. That is second all-time for all positions. He was also first in the entire league in that category for six straight years. If you look at just outfielders, he is first all-time. Ultimately, your goal is to stop runs, and Andrew was the king. If you don't like that stat, which in reality is accumulation of multiple stats, then let's look at defensive war. If you look at his defensive war from a distance, you will see that his 24.1 defensive war is 20th all-time among all defenders. But, if you look at the list closer, you will see that all 19 above him are infielders. This makes sense because scientifically it is easier to stay at an elite level as a defender when you don't have to cover the large amount of ground that an outfielder does, like outfield grass, obviously. What is even more impressive is you have to scroll all the way down to 60th all-time to find the next outfielder. Andrew is literally the only outfielder in the top 59 in defensive war, and he is all the way up at number 20. He is not only the best center fielder of all time defensively, he is the best outfielder defensively, and it isn't even close. If you guys remember, Ozzy was basically voted in because he was known for being the best defensively. Brooks Robinson was voted in for being the best defensive third baseman. Andrew is the best defensive outfielder, which covers three different positions all time. And again, it's not even close. So, that brings us back to the should and if. To me, it is honestly very close on the should. 
He is a handful short on war if you look at the average Hall of Famer at his position, but it is close. But he is just short of the average itself, meaning that there are other players that are lower than the average. I've said it in the past, it's dangerous to cherry pick individual players and saying, well, so-and-so is in the Hall of Fame, so that means this guy should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. That's dangerous to do, so that's why I like to look at the average, and Andrew's a bit short, to be completely honest here. But, if you add the prestige of being the best defensive outfielder of all time, and by all time, I mean accumulated across an entire career which is what the Hall of Fame is all about, to the amount of war he has accumulated with his full body of work, he most definitely should be in. As far as the if, we looked at some of the metrics that voters use. Andrew is lacking there. However, fortunately for Andrew, voters are trending towards actually looking at defensive numbers, not just the eye test. This is a good sign for Andrew. He has been on the ballot for three years now. The maximum is 10 years. He shot up in voting last year. The results have been 7.3% of ballots. Then the next year it was 7.5%. And then it shot up to 19.4%. A player must be on 75% of the ballots to get in. Looking at the trend, it is definitely possible but I see him getting in on probably the final poll. Typically, a player gets a surge on that 10th poll. Let's look at Larry Walker. He is the most recent to be voted in on his last attempt. And by last attempt, I mean on the 10th poll. His voting percentage was 20.3, 22.9, then dropped to 10.2, 11.8, 15.5, sorry, 21.9, 34.1, then 54.6, and lastly 76.6. As you can see, he started with about the same percentage that Andrew currently is at in his third year, but then dipped. Another trend to look at is that as he got closer to the end of the 10 years, the voting spiked. Obviously, this is a super small sample size, but I wanted to point out how the last three years saw the vote spike, and there's many players that this has been the same way. I believe Andrew will see a similar scenario. Around year seven, we will have a better picture on if he has a shot. The huge jump last year for Andrew gives me hope that voters are finally coming around to defense. This is not the offense hall of fame. This is not the batting Hall of Fame. This is the Baseball Hall of Fame. And the baseball is not just offense. The game of baseball is not just defense. The game of baseball is not just base running. It is the game of baseball that incorporates all of these things. It looks like voters are starting to come around. And as voters get younger, they probably we'll start to see this more. It's just how it trends. Nothing against older voters. I mean, baseball, the history of baseball is amazing. I I love looking back at the trends of how voters voted, um, how baseball is played. The sport is always changing. It's forever changing. Even though the rules stay pretty much the same, the game itself changes over the years. And I think it's a beautiful thing. 
the way things are trending now, younger voters tend to look at defense more, and I think that that is going to help Andrew Jones. What I'm really getting at is that I won't be shocked if he does not make it, but I will also not be shocked if Andrew does make it. He is your perfect example of a borderline candidate, but personally, if I were a voter, he would be on my ballot. And as you guys know, I take my Braves goggles off and I look at things statistically non-biased, which is why some of you probably hate me from the Dale Murphy episode. Um, but those insane defensive numbers just, for me, put him over the top, even though he's slightly short on the war, and even though he retired a little bit earlier, and even though after he left the Braves he only had like one good offensive season. All of this stuff considered... And him accumulating that much defensive war in a career that's shorter than most players that make it into the hall, it's just enough. He deserves to be in. As Braves fans, though, we're just going to have to be patient because it's going to be a few years. I don't see him getting in any earlier than four years from now. Most likely, if he does get in, we're going to see him inducted in about seven years or so. Uh, I need to project out which players are going to be on the ballot to in the future because that is going to influence it some. But on his last year, I, I truly think he's going to get the surge that he needs to be put in. Well, that's the show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on whatever platform it is you're listening on. Follow on Twitter at Braves Dugout Pod, or follow the Facebook page or the Atlanta Braves Dugout Facebook group. You can also find my webpage URL on Twitter or on the Facebook page. Hopefully, when you're hearing this recording, a deal is in place for baseball to resume. See you next Thursday. Chop on and go Braves.